So, when you get to Luke chapter 9, verse 28, say, it's all about Jesus. All right, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning if you're able? Follow along in God's word and have your eyes on scripture. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today. Um, today, um, by the definition of the church calendar, which we're sort of following, which is the life of Jesus Christ, um, is the last Sunday in Epiphany. Epiphany is that sort of aha moment where we've been looking at Jesus' sort of revelation as being God. And just a quick recap, this is how Epiphany starts. It starts after Advent with the star shining on Jesus and leading the wise men, the magi, to find him. So it starts with the shining star, and it ends today, which is Transfiguration Sunday, with Jesus shining like a star. And listen, i got to be honest, this, this text is much too much that we could handle. And as I was studying it this week, I tried to get a grasp on it. It was like, man, there's so much going on. How can we explain this? What's the takeaway? Because the takeaway is to simply be overwhelmed. I mean, when you read that passage, you're just like, my goodness. And that's really the purpose of it. And, and as I was thinking about it, it reminded me, my, my wife and I this past year, we celebrated um, 10 years, a decade of being married together. Appreciate that, bro. Let's go. I'm proud of that. All right. We're putting in work. Okay. Right. And we're wanting like 40 more. All right. And so to celebrate, we went um, up to St. Louis, stayed a few nights and then went um, camping or no, I'm sorry. We didn't go camping. We went hiking because I don't camp, bro. Okay. <laughs> Like God made air conditioning, okay? I'm trying to be about all that. So we went hiking, and we went hiking, and we thought that we had chose like the two or three mile trail. And so we're just a beautiful day. We're hiking, talking about our kids and future, and just it was a great day. And then, like deep into this hike, we realized this is more than like two to three miles, okay? And then we're deep into this hike. We come up on this bluff, and so we did what any millennial couple does, is we took a selfie while we were up there. But as we were up, we, we realized, oh, we didn't do the, the short hike. We did the longer, like, seven, eight-mile hike. But the way that we found out is when we came up on that bluff, we could see, like, almost where our car was. 
the trail, and then we could see where sort of everything was going to wrap back around and then where we would end again. So that, that bluff gave us a view of, of multiple vantage points to find out where we were. And if I could explain Transfiguration Sunday or this text, it, it would be like that. That the first thing that we find out about this text is that it's a middle point in Jesus's ministry. So we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in it all the way past Easter. We just sort of break things down like Legos here, stick to a book of the Bible, and just kind of plow through it, okay? So this is a middle point in Jesus' ministry. The baptism, temptation, Jesus has been healing people, casting out demons, let the bodies hit the floor. That, he's been raising people from the dead. It's been incredible. I mean, like, this is a big deal. But this is a, a, a stark middle point in his ministry. But it's not just a middle point. When we look at the grand story, the narrative that God is writing, that is scripture, it's sort of like being up on that bluff. It's, it's a high point. And here's what I mean. When we approach Transfiguration Sunday and, and we're there upon that mountain, we're able to look back upon the Old Testament and we're able to go, oh, I get it now. I get it. And then we're able to look forward in the rest of the New Testament, we're able to go, oh, that's why that's important. So it's not just sort of a middle point in Jesus' ministry. It's a high point for us, for sure. But it's also a turning point for these disciples. There's three disciples that go up the mountain with Jesus. James, John, and Peter. It is such a turning point for these three, Jesus' sort of inner circle, like his crew. These are his boys, his ride or die, or these three guys are, okay? It's such a turning point for these disciples that all three of them go on to write another book in the New Testament. And almost all three reference this scene. And Peter actually, when he's writing to some churches and some Christians that are being persecuted for their faith, they're even questioning Peter, like, man, are you really an apostle? How do you know? There's some other stories about this Jesus. Here's what Peter says in his letter, 2 Peter 1, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Listen, by the way, maybe you're one of those people who think you're super smart because you saw a two-minute YouTube video of a guy who lives in his mom's basement who said you can't trust the Bible, and so now you're all like big Google guy, know everything about the Bible, okay? Listen, if it is fake and if it is made up, all right, and Peter knew that this story was going to be recorded, do you see what he says in the story? Luke is even like, and Peter shouldn't have even said what he said, right? Master, it's good that we're here. If Peter knew that that was going to be recorded, I probably would have said, hey, uh, you leave that part out, all right? Because I don't want to be known forever as the guy that shot his mouth off on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he says, listen, that happened. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he says this, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. Listen, Peter just lays down the veto card. That name is a name that is only reserved for God the Father and only used a number of times within the Old Testament. And Peter says, hey guys, your highest view of God, the majesty of glory. We heard these words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter there is probably referencing um, what happened 
maybe at Jesus' baptism or the Mount of Transfiguration because he goes on and says this, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Oh, man. Peter's saying, listen, you need to know this. It is such a big deal that I'm writing and reminding you again of what I experienced on that mountaintop with Jesus Christ. And so for us today, what does this mean for us? I just want to spend a few moments in this text. When I look at it, I see that, that the transfiguration is, is proof that Jesus is the Messiah. I see that. Then I see that it's preparation for Jesus' cross. And then I also see that it's a preview for what's to come. But there's also some application for us in there as well. And we'll talk about that as we go through. So the first thing that I see is this, that it's, that it's proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, it's not just proof of his divinity, okay? And listen, we're in the deep end today. And so if it's your first time here, like, welcome. But we're kind of taking the floaties off, and we're just kind of throwing you in. If you drown, we'll try to give you CPR, all right? But we just, we got to walk through this, okay? We just got to get through this. We said that this is like a high point, that we're able to come to transfiguration and then go, oh, yeah, over there, the Old Testament, where we came, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Peter, James, and John, and then the rest of the New Testament would, would have known what's going on here. There's almost a mirror image of the Mount of Transfiguration in Sinai, which was read to you in Exodus. So you remember Charlton Heston, right? When he gets with God, let my people go, and the whole thing and all that stuff. Um, he goes up the mountain to sort of FaceTime with God in Exodus 34. He's got the tablets. God's going to write them on, on, on the tablets with his bare finger, the Ten Commandments. Incredible scene. And when that happens, this is what Exodus records. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. Um, the first time that this went down, that he came down and saw that they were like Christians gone wild type of a thing, and he slammed the tablets down, and they broke. And so God was like, you can't do that. You need to come back and get them again, okay? So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, now here it is, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Look at your Bible. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray and up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Drop down verse 34. And as he was saying these things, a cloud overshadowed them. And they were afraid, and they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Oh, they would have known what was going on. This is, this is not like Sinai, but it's like Sinai, but there's something different that's happening here. And then Luke records Jesus' clothes, that they're white. And, and that phrase, dazzling white, that's an effort. We, I mean, there's not even a word that we can describe. There's like lightning, Okay. Um, and so there's no bleach. There's no tied to go sticks. Those are fabulous, by the way. You should get you some of those. But this is not, your clothes are not going to look like this. And listen to me. They would have known what was happening. Because there's a description of God in the Psalms of what God looks like. And this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 102. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty covering yourself with light 
as with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. Do you see? I mean, this is building. This is pointing to something. And by the way, isn't it interesting? Moses had to climb up the mountain to meet with God. And what did God have to do? Descend. God had to come down in order to meet with him. What, what's going on here? Well, there's something that happens before these verses. If you back up in chapter 9, look in verse 18. Jesus asks his disciples the very famous question, who did the crowd say that I am? Just this intimate moment with his disciples. Who are people saying? What's the popular survey? Is it the people's vote? What's going on here? What are they saying? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say, and then Jesus turns the tables. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Um, um, By the way, he, he asked that to you today. It's the most important question that you could ever answer in the history of the world is who is Jesus Christ? So you can't leave indifferent today. You need to have an answer to that. But here in the transfiguration, look who answers that question. And a voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God the Father answers that question. Now, I know what you're saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Theology, awesome, great. Um, Tomorrow's Monday. I have a job. Mortgage is due. My marriage is in shambles. What does this mean? What does this mean, okay? Um, Here's what I think it means. I think the deity of Jesus declares that God's a lot closer than what you think. And he's not far away. Why? Because some of us have an idea that we have to climb a mountain. Whether it's our behavior or what we need to do. or Then I can meet God up here. I can meet God up here. But what we see in the face of Jesus Christ, what we see in the face of Jesus Christ is that God has come down the mountain in Jesus. And listen, when Moses met with God, Moses' face glowed. Do you know why? Moses was reflecting what he saw. But here in the transfiguration, Jesus' face is not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus' face is the glory of God. Moses climbs up the mountain to intercede between God and his people, to bridge the gap together. But here, Jesus is the greater mediator because there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And here, there is no law, but Jesus is giving his life to this. So what's the application to the fact that the deity of Jesus declares that God is not far? Well, I think our application is to wake up. Because look at what the disciples are doing. Verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now here it is, verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him had eaten a bunch of carbs or something, okay? They were heavy with sleep. Question. While they were asleep, was God doing something? Yeah. Were they aware of it? No. Okay, let's bridge the application now to your life. Could God be doing something in your life and you not be aware of it? Yeah. For he's a very present help in a time of need. All we need to do is just wake up. Be aware of what's going on. So it's not just proof that he's the Messiah, but it's the second thing is is that it's preparation for his cross. 
You're like, cross in the transfiguration? What are you talking about? Well, well, check this out. This is so cool. Verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him. Here it is, man. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. All right, so listen. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, and maybe you were the Bible kid drill who won everything that everyone hated. But listen, okay? That's a different sermon, all right? Um, if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament, like we, some big figures here, Moses and Elijah are there, okay? Moses, I mean, gives the law, intercedes for the people, let my people go. I mean, the whole, this dude's a big, big deal. When Moses dies, right before he dies, God lets him see the promised land and then is like, you're not going. I'm going to take you out. And he's like, good, because these people are wearing me slick, okay? And so, but when Moses dies, the book of Jude tells us later on that God hid his body because um, Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer were fighting over it. It's some weird stuff, okay? Moses is a big deal. And so Moses doesn't die like everybody else. And then Elijah is like the major prophet of the Old Testament. This guy's calling fire down from heaven. By the way, Elijah doesn't die. He just, really cool scene and gets taken up in the chariots of fire long before the movie ever took place, okay? Like, it is an awesome scene. So this is a big deal. By the way, newsflash, um, Moses made it to the promised land that's where they're at. That's super cool, right? And you know what I would love? I would love to know, love to know, what are Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking about? I would love to know that, right? Would you? I'm glad you asked. It's right there in the verse. It's crazy, right? It's like it's in the Bible, okay? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Well, that's a weird word. Which, was about, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay, what? Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure. Well, what's his departure? Well, Luke tells us that was about to take place in Jerusalem. Um, Luke uses a word, and it's a footnote there in your Bible. It is in mine, there at the bottom of the page. Luke uses a word for departure that's very significant. It's the Greek word exodus, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew word. Exodus. Do you see it? Moses is talking to Jesus and says, what's about to take place? And Jesus says, do you remember your Exodus when the people were in slavery and you told them to take the spotless lamb, to sacrifice it and to put the blood on the doorway and the death angel passed over and God did all of these things and led his people out of captivity? Well, and, and, and can you just follow me? What, what if the conversation went like this? Well, Moses, um, right now my clothes are shining bright white. But in Jerusalem, my clothes will be torn apart and they will be bloody. And you see, Moses, my face right now, it is transfigured with glory. But Moses, in my exodus, my face will be disfigured because I will be beaten so harshly. Moses, I'm appearing now with you and Elijah, two people. But Moses, there's going to be another mountain that I will ascend. I will carry my cross, and I will be between two thieves. 
You see, Moses, this exodus that God is doing is something new. And Elijah, by the way, you were taken up and ascended into heaven, but in my day, I will rise from the dead. And in 40 days after that, I will ascend and I will ascend into the heavens and sit down at the right hand of the Father. And it is a much greater ascension than you had ever had. You see, this thing, this book that you hold in your hand, it is all about Jesus. Jesus is a greater Moses. Jesus is a greater Elijah. This is the good news of the exodus that God is doing. So what's the application for us? Well, the application for us is to hush up. (laughs) I could have used a different word, but my kids aren't allowed to say that. We get in trouble in the Jordan home if you say that. Okay, all right. It's not just to just wake up, but it's to politely hush up. And here's what I mean. Look at what Peter does when he sees it, verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke says this. It's like he put Peter on blast on Front Street forever, not knowing what he was saying, right? It's so good to read the narrative that way. What does Peter do? When Peter says, let us make tents, he just reacts, okay? I want to give Peter a little bit of credit here, all right? Peter just identified him as the Christ a few verses before, and so he's just blurting out. Anybody thankful for Peter? Anybody thankful for Peter? Amen. I find out what my sermon's going to be sometimes the same times you do, okay, all right? I am thankful for Peter, all right? Let us make tents for you. The word that he uses is, is to tabernacle. Listen, that's what they did in the Old Testament for the presence of God. You know what Peter does? God's doing something new. And what does Peter revert to? Something old. This is new. This is new. This is fabulous. God, do it just like that back there that we know of, that we're prepared for, and we know everything to expect. Do it just like that. And he spoke of not knowing what he was to say. Because listen, Jesus would use this parable. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. And for some of us, we've already established, God could possibly be doing something in your life that you are greatly unaware of. What is our reaction? To speak up and to expect God to do it in the way that he's always done. And the application of this text is to shut your mouth and let God do what he does because that's where faith comes in. And by the way, Moses and Elijah, if we make three tents that are the same, that means that that Jesus, you're like them. You're like them. But we see that the voice says, no, 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 no. It's not. It's not like this. You know, what's interesting is, is, is when we find out that a reason why they can't stay there is because the ex- this is where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. This is what this means. You can only know the glory of Jesus because of the cross of Jesus. That's, that's the glory. So, so it, it can't just end here at the transfiguration, though it seems right. Jesus is saying, you don't understand my glory. That's why he would always tell people when he did a miracle, don't say anything. Shh. And then what they do? Yo! Right? Why did he say that? Because, listen, if you only, oh gosh, this is so good. If you only understand me on the mountaintop when things are going well, you'll never truly know who I am 
Glory is not just a mountaintop experience. Glory is a bloody cross. And it's painful and it hurts. And there's suffering there. But Jesus flips the script and he says, suffering is not wasted. Show me any other ideology, any other religion, any other worldview that explains suffering. I'll wait. Because Christianity comes along and says, God doesn't waste it. It's broken and it's harsh, but God doesn't waste it. So in order to know that, we have to, we have to hush up and let God do what he's doing. But then the last thing is this, is that it's a preview of what's to come. This is a grand, grand picture. We said, who's, who's here? Well, it's Peter, John, and James. And we say that, that the preview of what's to come. Now, now, now we said that, that this is like a sort of a cliff where we can look back, but also look forward. And John writes later on in the New Testament to, to a group of Christians who um, they need assurance, they need hope, and they're being persecuted for their faith. And do you know what John gives them as hope? They're going through so much suffering. You know what John gives them as hope? John says these words. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. John, what's he like? He's like the transfiguration. That's what he's like, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Listen, this is the hope that John gives. John says, do you need hope? Are you, are you waiting on news? Are you in a hospital room? What do you reach for? Do you know what it is when we enter into trials and, and, and to suffering? It's, it's, it's many things, but it's no less than this. It's, it's sort of like when you go by and you bump your dining room table, right? And there's that dumb vase that sits in the middle of your dining room table that you have to move every time you eat, and it's not practical, and it looks great, but it's dumb that it's there, okay? And you bump it, and that falls over, right? When trials and suffering come along, it bumps the table of your life, and your idols begin to wobble. Where's your hope? Is it in that? Well, that'll fall. Is it in that? Is it in your 401k? Really? When you're looking at cancer, that's what you're going to go back for? Your house? Your relationships? What, what is the hope? Here's the sentence. The Christian life is not just about dying and being transported to heaven someday, but rather that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus today. Right now, eternal life starts now. God, we sing the song, day by day, God is making us into, and you know how he does it? With a big hammer and a huge chisel. And he busts away those areas of our life. And he's making us into the image of Jesus. Well, Jason, how does he do that? What am I supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. Because you're supposed to wake up. You're supposed to shut your mouth. And then you're supposed to listen up. I wonder what we're supposed to do with the transfiguration. What's the application here? God literally tells us, okay? Look at this in verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. 
Listen to him. Listen to him. Hush and listen. So what's the, what's the takeaway here? I think it's this. I think that we're transformed into the image of Jesus by looking and listening to Jesus. You're going, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds a little one-sided. That sounds like God's doing a lot of stuff, and if I give witness to that and surrender my life to that, then somehow my life changes. Yes. Yes. And isn't it funny that the most difficult thing for us to do is to release what is in our hand? It is such a tight grip. And God says, hey, wake up, be quiet, and listen. Because that's what I'm like. That's been the whole thing in Epiphany, that God is like Jesus. And the Father here says, do you want to know what I'm like? Listen to him. The Son is like the Father. So, so just a few questions. The first one is this. Um, could, could God be doing something in your life that you're unaware of? Well, see, you, you messed up and you answered yes earlier in the sermon. But I want to zero in a little bit more. Where? Where? I want you to name it. I want you to be specific. Don't give me the, well, I'm just praying about it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I want a name. Give me the relationship. Give it to God. Name that. The second thing is this. Why do you feel that you need to explain God? Hush up. Don't react. And don't try to make God do something new like he's done in the past. It's new. You're going to have to release control of that. But the last thing is this. Where are you not listening to Jesus? And you know. You know. It's probably the area in your life that you're most active in. You know why? Because you think it takes you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell my husband and all that. I'm going to get my, with my wife and my kids. And I'm, gonna, and I'm just, and my hands are on and all the, that's the area that you're not listening to him in. Because you're so overworked and you're so preoccupied with that that you can't let that go. Listen to me. When you let that go, God's going to do more in a day than you can do in a thousand years in a scenario like that. And we're going to come to the table and we're going to see the body broken and the blood shed. Glory. Not how we would measure it, but how Jesus measures it. And I'm just going to ask you to leave some of those things at the table today and pick up the body and the bloodshed. So Westside, stand to your feet and let us pray to the majestic glory how Jesus the Son taught us to pray. Westside, lift your voices. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, we come before you, broken and laid bare. And as we come to the table, we're reminded that the table is not a reward for the righteous. We don't come to this table because we've obeyed the rules. We come to this table because it is a gift to the broken and needy. And we need grace today for 
who are we to say that we would not have responded like Peter or that we would have understood? Wake us up, Holy Spirit. Close our mouths. Let us open our ears. Today, if we hear your words, may we not harden our hearts. We pray this all in the risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen.